heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had, done, had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was at Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowds answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. And let's pray together. Indeed, God, you have spoken in your word. And as we now reflect on this and we reflect on what Jesus was saying and as we read about what he was feeling and experiencing with the depth of sorrow and anguish in his soul that we that we understand what was happening here in these passages this verses of scripture 
as Jesus was looking forward to his death on a cross, that the hour was coming. Help us to to grasp what Jesus is saying here and that indeed we may hear and understand and respond appropriately. We ask you to do this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if I could give a little outline to the beginning of what is happening in this episode, let me just give you these two words. Kids, you could write this down in your handout. Here's the other, the two outline points, okay? Palms and Psalms. Palms and Psalms. Okay, and remember, this is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the week of Passover. Passover is just in a matter of a couple of days. Passover being the big celebration of Israel's great deliverance from their bondage of slavery in Egypt, where the Passover lamb was sacrificed. And here, Jesus is entering in to celebrate this feast like he has done on several occasions in John's gospel thus far. At least, this is either the third or the fourth, depending on, the scholars disagree on which one, but uh, this is the third or fourth year that he has done this. And then notice, the first point of our outline is palms. Notice that Jesus is going into Jerusalem, and and keep in mind why they're going into Jerusalem, uh, because of the notoriety that he had just gained because of what had just happened in John chapter 11. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was buried, dead, buried, wrapped up, and put into a tomb, and Jesus raised Lazarus by just calling out his voice and bringing him back to life. And news of that was starting to spread all over the place. As a matter of fact, you see two crowds here. There's two crowds. There's one crowd that is kind of following Jesus as he's traveling from Bethany, the nearby little town, heading up to Jerusalem. And then there's the crowd that hears that Jesus is coming, and they're gathering at the gate as Jesus and his little entourage are arising. That's what we see here um, in John 17. The crowd that had been with him in Bethany when he, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, were bearing witness. They were saying, hey, this is the guy. This is Jesus. You know the Lazarus story? This is him. And then in verse 18 is a different crowd. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, that's the crowd inside of Jerusalem, uh, was that they had heard that sign that he had done. So he's going to Jerusalem, and that crowd starts to gather at the news that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, entering in through that eastern gate, through the Kidron Valley from over in Bethlehem, uh, toward near where kind of near the Mount of Olives, and, or, excuse me, Bethany was, uh, is that little village down there. And in response, they took palm branches. You see that in verse 13. Branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Okay, now palm branches. Why is that, um, why is that important? Well, palm branches were a symbol of victory. A couple of things that had happened in Israel's history from in between the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, that shows just how significant these palm branches were. Palm branches had been used to celebrate the rededication of the temple in AD, or excuse me, BC 164. So let me give you a little story of what happened. Israel was dwelling in the land. They had the temple there that was rebuilt a couple of centuries before Jesus comes. Um, and they 
an army from kind of Syria, Assyria area called the Seleucids. The uh, a king, military leader of the Seleucids came over to conquer this area from kind of what the uh, Ptolemies, another uh, region that was down in Egypt. They came down to conquer and they conquered Jerusalem and he set up an altar to Zeus and sacrificed a pig on the altar. That is uh, not a good thing to do in the Jewish temple. And so some revolutionaries, some militia kind of formed like this guerrilla war army to drive these Seleucids out. And they actually did. They crossed so much of a hassle that the Seleucids said, fine, you can have your temple back. And when they got the temple back, they were rededicating the temple. And this is the uh, Jewish holiday of, of Hanukkah. We talked about this before because in John chapter 10, Jesus goes up for the feast of dedication. That's the same holiday. And so it's significant that in one of the Jewish books, kind of between the Old Testament, it's not part of the Old Testament. It's a Jewish writing from that time reads this. It says they celebrated it, this purification of the temple, for eight days with rejoicing. And as the story goes, they only had enough oil for the lamps for one day. But miraculously, that oil lasted for for eight days, which is what it took to purify oil for the next, uh, for, for use. So they celebrated with eight days with rejoicing in the manner of the festival of booths, which we talked about that before. So it's a similar festival. It's a joyous and celebrating uh, festival. Remembering how not long before during the festival of booths, they had been wandering in the mountains and caves like wild animals. Therefore, carrying ivy wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palm, they offered hymns of thanksgiving. So notice that palms, the palms thing there. This is the, the symbol of their victory militarily over, um, over the Seleucids. And they sang psalms or hymns of thanksgiving, which is Psalms 113 through 118. We sang Psalm 118 today. So they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place. They decreed by public edict, ratified by vote, that the whole nation of the Jews should observe these days every year, which Jesus did. The palm branches had been used to uh, celebrate not only that victory there, but about uh, 15 or so years later, when they finally gained political independence from them entirely. And this happened through one of the descendants of one of that, the major military guerrilla warfare leader uh, persons, his, one of his sons, and they drove them out entirely. So a little bit uh, later, it says this, on the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, so this is BC 141, the Jews entered it, entered Jerusalem, with praise and palm branches, and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Now, fast forward 150 years or so, and the Jews are now occupied by Rome. And so there's been calls for another Messiah, another revolution to drive out the Romans in the same way that the Seleucids had been driven out. 
And so they were looking forward to this kind of military victory. And so these palm branches were a symbol of that. As a matter of fact, they even appeared on Jewish coins. You can find Jewish coins from the first century and the second century that have palm branches on it because that was a symbol of their victory over foreign enemies. So that's the first one, palms. And the second one is psalms because notice we saw that a couple of times here that they were singing psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, which were psalms 113 to 118. And so notice what they see here. They're bringing out the palm branches. They went out to meet him saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a very fascinating psalm. It's quoted, many of its verses are quoted in the New Testament. Verse 6 is quoted in, in Hebrews chapter 13. Where the writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's from Psalm 118. The New Testament uses Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23 and applies it to Jesus himself. Psalm 118 Verses 22 and 23 reads this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. A couple of times in the Gospels, Jesus actually refers to that passage as referring to himself as being that cornerstone. Peter in Acts chapter 4 quotes that verse and applies it to Jesus in condemnation to the Jewish leaders who rejected Jesus. He basically had told them, um, you Jewish leaders who rejected Jesus, you're the one who are the builders who rejected that that stone, and yet that stone now becomes the cornerstone. It becomes the first one laying the marking for the entire, the, the entire structure. And so that's what this psalm has a great deal of significance in the New Testament. But it's in verse 26 of that psalm. Verse 25 and verse 26, it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And that's kind of reflected there in the Hosanna, the save us. And then in verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Okay, these would be the songs that would be sung when the Seleucids were evicted out and they were able to rededicate the temple and where they were, the, the Jews had reclaimed all of the political territory. These were the songs they sang. So you put those together, palms and psalms, these songs, psalms in particular, and what do you have? These are clear demonstrations of Jesus as Messiah recognized by the crowd. Clear demonstration. They're, they're basically saying, we know you are the Messiah. That's what they were saying. Indeed, Jesus is the Messiah. And as a matter of fact, it's very interesting that what Jesus does in response to their acknowledgement of him as Messiah. Now, for them, they're thinking a military leader. 
They're thinking a political leader who's going to come out and literally drive out the Roman army. Jesus has a different conception of, uh, of how that will happen. Maybe I would say it's this. I'd say it's a different time frame. Jesus doesn't come in as a, a mighty warrior to drive out the Romans at first. He comes in to defeat the enemy spiritually first. It's in Revelation at the end when he comes back at the second coming was when he will finally vanquish all of the political and military enemies that set themselves up against the Lord and his anointed. Jesus is the Messiah. 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's a word given to David as a promise from the Lord that, that your son will sit on the throne forever. Now, in context, you might see that that means Solomon, but Solomon doesn't live on the throne forever. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, in 1 Kings chapter 1, when uh, David is very aged and he's very old and he's going to be departing the earth very soon, and there, uh, there's a little bit of a coup, one of his sons wants to take over the throne, and um, Bathsheba goes, wait a second, you, you said that the throne was going to go to my son Solomon. And so David makes a promise. Yes, the, the throne will go to Solomon. And so he goes, he says this. You could look this in 1 Kings chapter 1. He goes, I named Solomon as my successor. And as a matter of fact, take my mule, my donkey, and have him ride on it. And then go over to the coronation ceremony. So even in the Old Testament, there's a connection between donkey the new, newly anointed king on a donkey. Except we know it's not Solomon because he dies. He's not reigning on the throne forever. It's Jesus, which is why Jesus does this act in verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. And then he does this in fulfillment of another Old Testament passage, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a colt's, on a donkey's colt. The crowd is crying out, your Messiah, symbolized by the palm branches. You're going to be a military victor. It's symbolized by the words we're singing. We're singing the psalms that would have been sung when the Messiah is to come. And notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He accepts it. But he accepts it and acknowledges it, but in a different way than what they were expecting. Jesus is the king, and he does vanquish the foes of his people. But as we will see in this passage, the foes primarily and firstly then are spiritual. He's going to be dealing with the enemies of the devil and sin and death. So notice it continues on, verse, verse 20. And by the way, notice in verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, okay, this is after his death and his resurrection, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had done to him. So verse 20, notice what happens. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, okay? Now, this doesn't strictly mean from Greece. This is also a synonym, synonym that means Gentiles or the nations. 
and that these would be not converts to Judaism, but a different category known as God-fearers, people who were not Jewish ethnically, but revered and respected the God of Israel. Sympathetic to and align themselves with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they come and they say, we ask to see Jesus. And so they come to his disciples, comes to um, Philip, and then Philip told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip both went and told Jesus. And then Jesus is now answering this request for the Gentiles to seek Jesus. By the way, that's a foreshadowing of what is going to come in the new covenant, right? That the nations will be blessed in the gospel. This fulfills the promise to Abraham long ago, the father of all of Israel. Yes, but it is through you and your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. That's a promise of, of the new covenant. It's the promise of the covenant of grace. And so one of the telltale signs that you're, you're now entering into the new covenant is the fact that Gentiles or Greeks are seeking Jesus. So Jesus, this is just adding to the, the idea here that what is about to happen in a couple of days is for Jesus is the real deal. They went and told, Philip and Andrew went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them. As far as we know, Jesus doesn't, isn't speaking to the Greeks. But Jesus says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Remember how often John has used hour in his gospel. Remember, Jesus' mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, there's a family's running out of wine at the wedding. And he says to her, he goes, my time has not come. My hour has not yet come. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus says, my time has not come. When they wanted to go down to the feast, he goes, your time is here. My, my time has not come. The Jews were seeking all the more to arrest Jesus. And remember, they tried to arrest him and apprehend him several times, and it never worked out. No one laid a hand on him because it says, because his hour had not yet come. No one arrested him, John chapter 8, verse 20, because his hour has not yet come. And now you have this reversal here as the, as the crowd is welcoming him in, declaring him as Messiah, and Greeks are saying, we want to see Jesus now Jesus is saying, now my hour has come. Now is the time for me to be glorified. And by glorified here, he means the whole thing. It's the, it's the part for the whole. That his death and his burial and his resurrection and glorification. It's kind of John saying that, Jesus is saying that, that whole thing. Now, how does that glorification come? Notice verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus gives this illustration of what he was about to endure. by saying it's, it's got to be buried. The life that I offer bearing much fruit in all of the world, it has to die first. 
You've heard me say this many times. One of the themes throughout the New Testament is sufferings first, glories to follow. And Jesus adds to that here in the next few verses. He says that that's not only true for him, that's true for his followers too. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Sufferings first and glories to follow. You're feeling the weight a little bit about what is happening now, and you see this in the words of Jesus now in verse 27 which is, is a line from, Psalms, uh, from Psalm 6. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. His soul is in anguish and in trouble because in a couple of days' time, his body, the person, Jesus of Nazareth, who's fully God, fully man, is fully man and will suffer. Brutally. His body will be broken. His blood will be shed. And if you knew that was coming in a couple of days' time, how would you feel? Jesus' soul is troubled. And he says, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? There's, there's hints that, that as the human side of Jesus really struggling with this. There's other examples when, he, when he's with his disciples and he walks away, and the other Gospels record this as he goes, hey, if you would just pray with me, guys. And then he goes a little stone's throw away, and he's, Father, let this cup pass from me, but yet not my will, your will. This is John's echoing of that or an equivalent of this. Father, save me from this hour. But then he says, but it's for this purpose why I have come. That's why Jesus has come, to die. To have his body broken and his blood shed so that all who would have faith in him would receive forgiveness in his name. And so Jesus' primary goal here is to glorify the Father. He says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven says, I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. And the crowd even hears this voice. I want to stop here at verse 27 and say, to just focus on this, that the purpose, the purpose of Jesus' coming is to suffer death for the salvation of his people. His, the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood is for those who would come to faith in him. All of his ministry is culminating right here. Just days away. He's accepting praise from the crowds as Messiah. But he knows what that means as Messiah. That the Messiah doesn't vanquish his enemies in victory without first dying. He says, the Son of Man will be lifted up. 
which could be taken to mean like exalted. But Jesus is saying, I will be exalted, but not in the way that you expect. I'm going to be exalted. The supreme example of my exaltation will be me hanging on a cross. He said that about the type of death that he was going to undergo. Sufferings first, glories to follow. And that his glories will come also to his people who likewise will suffer first with glories to follow. Here you see even just an example once again of what of how John began his message in John chapter 10. When he likewise is speaking of Jesus as the light, the true light, which gives light to everything. Everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. The crowd knew he was Messiah, but they didn't understand what that meant. That Jesus got on the donkey. The disciples knew that from the scriptures, but they hadn't put two and two together. The Greeks wanted to see Jesus, but perhaps they didn't even have a full understanding of what was involved in the Messiah's reign, that it had to come through death first. He was in the world, the world that he made, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Which is the physical, tangible expression. It's this means of grace, like we had done baptism a couple of weeks ago, marking the initiation of the, the, the beginning of the Christian life. It's one of the ordinances, the sacraments, some people call them, of the the church that was ordained by Jesus himself to initiate believers into the, the church, into the Christian life. But here, the Lord's Supper is the other ordinance or sacrament that he has given to his people. And this is the ongoing renewal of that covenant relationship that's pictured in baptism. That we take this not only just to remember Jesus in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the fruit of the vine which marks the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood not do we it's not just that we remember him we do do that but that in a very true spiritual way through faith that when we take these things we are nourished with that gospel when we believe the gospel we're nourished spiritually and that's pictured for us in taking this meal together Amen. So let me pray. I invite you to come up. We'll take the elements back to our, our, your seats. We'll take them together. And then we will close in song. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fruit of the earth and the fruit of the vine. We thank you for this bread and this cup. And we thank you that what it means by faith, how you are spiritually present here among your people as you promise us. And that as these nourish, these bring nourishment to our physical bodies, may the truth that these represent, the broken body of your son and his blood poured out for the new covenant, that we would be nourished by that gospel. That we would be assured that we have the forgiveness of our sins.
that we would be reminded that we were baptized into his death, that we might be raised to new life, to walk in newness of life in him. Remind us of those truths. Assure us of those, those mysteries as we partake of this together. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said.